We're in the book of Acts chapter 5. And um, when we read the Bible, I, I, I know what most, I, I do what a lot of people do. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to read the Bible for a few minutes. I'm going to pray for a little while. And, you know, that's your spiritual life. You want to pray a lot. And I get it. And it's just why I say, I think you're better served sometimes if you will like once or twice, if, if this is your only option. I can read my Bible for five minutes a day, you know, five or six days a week, because I know you don't read it on Sunday because you come to church, so you think you're exempt from reading the Bible. I got that. I do the same thing. Because um, I'm preaching. I feel like I'm exempt from a lot of things because I'm preaching. Um, then sometimes you don't get much out of it. Or, if you can, if, or maybe take a couple of times a week. And just sit down for 15, 20 minutes and read whole sections. I like to do that. I mean, I do that a lot, not just two days a week. But Acts is one of those books. And if you just read, like, it's 28 chapters. If you read a chapter a day, it's going to take you almost a month to get through Acts. You're going to forget half of what you read. Acts is a story. It's a beautiful, moving story. And when you just sit down and you read it, you, it's like reading almost a novel. It's, or, or a biography, or a really good history. But some of you don't like history, I get it. It's, you know, I was going to say romance novel, but that's not ever going to cut it. But it's just like reading something. And you see this movement, and you see this flow of the story. And in Acts, you begin to see, slowly but surely, the church that was just on fire and growing. You see these transitions, and then you begin to see problems just Picking up, picking up, picking up problems. Some of them from the inside, like Ananias and Sapphira from a couple of weeks ago. Joe did that. Some of them, like we see now, are from the outside with Jews. Sometimes they come from the Gentiles. And you see movement. You see Peter prominent, and then kind of fade a little bit, then come back, and they just fade completely. You see Paul just slip onto the scene. And if you read it, you know, just read all that, you're realizing there's a transition going on. And when Gentiles come to Jesus and there's problems and you get to Acts 15 and you got the church at Jerusalem, which is all Jews, deciding how Gentiles come to Jesus. And you see this monumental decision that James says, don't make it hard for them to come to Christ. And it changes the nature of the church. And these are amazing movements. And this is one of them that we're in. Last week we saw them. The apostles were starting to preach and teach Jesus. They're at the temple. They're at the temple doing this. And the, and the, remember, I told you, the priests and the Sadducees were, not the Pharisees. You know, I told you last week, at some point with the church, the Pharisees aren't the ones hammering these guys. And I told you why, in part, because the Pharisees, at least some of them began to realize, man, this, this Jesus thing is real. They believed in resurrection, and they're preaching about a resurrected Jesus, and they can't find the body of Jesus, and they say, well, the disciples stole it, but the Pharisees know that didn't happen. And there's beginning things happen, but the Sadducees, who are the aristocracy, who believe in no resurrection, who have power, they're really opposing this. They have the apostles arrested. The apostles are let out of jail. Uh, when they come to get him before them, the next day they're gone. They're back preaching at the temple. They go get him. They bring him back, 27, verse 27, chapter 5. When they brought them, they stood before the council, the Sanhedrin. That's, this is the Jewish ruling council, 70 men plus the high priest, mostly of their aristocracy, some Pharisees. And the high priest, this is the same high priest who had Jesus killed. You got it? These are the people who killed Jesus. 
He said, I love this. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in the name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. I'm going to stop right there. We told you to stop doing it, but you can, we gave you orders, he said. We told you. You're Jewish. We're the Jewish ruling council. We told you. I am such a Southern Baptist. I can't picture anybody telling me as a preacher what to do. That just blows my mind. I was, we were meeting with some church planters this week, earlier in the week, and the young guys, and the young guys, and one of them said, asked me, do you belong to a preaching collective? Now, a preaching collective is guys who get together and work on stuff, preachers about how to preach, you know, and what they preach on. It's just groups of guys, they talk, and they share ideas, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't say it quite like that. I just said, uh, no, and uh, something like that. And I can think, I can't imagine... I mean, I, I am so Southern Baptist, I couldn't get with four or five other preachers and just have them suggest things to me. Have you ever thought about, I know, whoa, 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 don't tell me, don't, I don't want to know your ideas about preaching. What, I, what I'm saying so much tongue-in-cheek is, can you imagine the Jewish ruling system is so corrupt that these guys tell people what they can and can't say. There's denominations do that also. And he says, you're filling Jerusalem with your teaching. I mean, I mean, everybody's heard it. And they get this. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And you're blaming us for the death of Jesus. I, I can just see all the apostles there. You know, Peter's going to leave. But I can just see them looking at each other like, whoa. Yeah. You killed him. Who else are we going to blame? Remember, the fundamental message of Peter early on is Jesus Christ. He's talking to the Jews whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And this is a general statement about who crucified him. But, but Caiaphas is like, well, in all those guys, you guys killed him. He wouldn't be dead if it wasn't for you. So, yeah, it's kind of on your hands. It's kind of on you. Can you just, it's just like, well, it's not our fault. Why are, you, why are you making us guilty of this? Well, because you did it. It's kind of like Brian saying, I didn't not do hymns. That's y'all's fault. That's a good analogy. He's not back there. He could have heard that. That would have been good. He's probably back there. He probably heard it. Man, he's cussing me right now. Joe, do y'all ever, like, cuss me when I'm not around? No? Okay. Lying. Lying. Peter and the apostles answered, this is the sentence. We must obey God rather than men. Wow. You know, you, that's all of us. We obey God. And so, a few years ago when they told us we couldn't worship a certain way, in the end, along with Jesus saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar and God's what is God. I said, I'm just going to go with Peter on this one. And we'll obey God rather than men. And our church has been blessed, not because of a decision I made, but because all of us as a church decided we would obey all of us and I talked to a lot of you. You remember, you came, you worshiped, 
we obey God. And people who couldn't come because it was risky, I got it. They watched online. That was fantastic. But we did what we had to do to obey God. At the end of the day, we always obey God. I had someone ask me one time when I got here, why don't you ever preach on this, that, and the other? I said, because the Lord hadn't led me to do that. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? And he was kind of in between a rock and a hard place. And he goes, well, I guess you have to go with the Lord. I said, I think we have to do that. I think so. It's not that you can't ask the question, but he was asking it in a certain way like I should. And what I'm saying to you is this. This has got to be the backbone of our faith. Once you come and you, we obey God. Now be sure it's God doing it. Be sure it's not just you creating, coming up with things. But if you know the Holy Spirit's leading you, notice verse 30, the God of our fathers. Oh, I love this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. They, God raised him up. You killed him through the Romans. God raised him back to life. He is the one who God exalted to the right hand as a prince and a savior, as, as a ruler and as the savior of all mankind to grant repentance to Israel. It's not that the Gentiles are excluded, but he's not dealing with Gentiles. He's looking at the leaders of Israel to grant repentance to them and forgiveness of sins. And you know what the Jewish ruling leaders could never do? They could never give you forgiveness of sin. Do you know what one of the great things we have in the message of Jesus? Is people can be forgiven. Do you know how much people want forgiveness? Even if they say, I don't believe in sin, uh, all that stuff, people are just covered with guilt. And they bear the burden of the things they've done in their life. And they want God to forgive them. Even if they don't always know it. One of the strongest reasons we have to convince people to trust Jesus is that God will forgive them of their sin. And at the end of the day, why do we care how, I mean, I understand what I'm saying, but why do we care how people live their lives? They're still sinning. You and I, we keep trying to change them. We can't change them. We take them to God. And God can forgive them. And he can change them. I learned, it took me a while, but I finally figured out, I can't argue people out of their sin. I can't argue people into good behavior. Get on the social media stage, you get on Facebook, and you start putting out all these arguments, it never works. We got people coming to this church. I know. I don't even, I, listen, I, don't, I don't do social media with any of you. So if you ever ask me to be a friend on Facebook or whatever, I'm, I'm going to just tell you no. It's nothing personal. It's just, uh, you know, I'm not going to do it. And, I, and part of it is because some of you put such stupid stuff on there. And I don't want to be embarrassed by it. But quit fighting battles with people you can't convince. 
try to help them understand that the beauty of Jesus is he forgives them. And then he says this, and we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. God's given them the Holy Spirit. Remember last week when I preached Sunday from chapter 10 and I, at the end, you know, the, the Gentiles came, what the, you know, and they received the Holy Spirit. What a gift. He said, we witnessed, we saw this. Remember, all those apostles were there. He said, we, we saw it. We lived that life. And we saw the resurrected Jesus. You, you're saying we stole this body. Remember, Caiaphas is the one who said that Peter and the boy stole the body of Jesus. All right? You got to keep that in mind. That's what's going on in the backstory, and And that's the lie they're telling. And Peter's looking at him and saying, man, God raised him from the dead. We didn't steal him. You know how I know that? We saw him. What are you going to do about that? We saw him. And they were telling that to the people. And the Jewish people had heard the story that Jesus, that these guys had stole their, his body. And the guys had been telling them, no, 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 no. We didn't steal anything. God raised him up. We saw him. They're lying to you. They may not have said that part. But they're lying to you. We saw him. This is our message. Our message is the resurrection of Jesus. That's everything about our message. Christianity rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only thing that can change the lives of people. That's the single most important thing we teach. And all of the Bible is inspired. I get it. And I, and I love all that Old Testament stuff. I get it. I love all that. Most of it. I'll be honest. I don't like reading all those stuff in Leviticus. But, or Ecclesiastes. Well, there's like half of it I don't want to read. Okay. <laughs> People's lives aren't changed because you share with them all of that stuff. Their lives are changed. When you tell them about the resurrected Jesus, this is why the church grew. This is the story of the church. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick. That means they were ticked off and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee, notice, a Pharisee appears. His name is Gamaliel. Gamaliel is critical. Later on, we learned that Gamaliel was the teacher of Paul. Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel. Hillel was one of the great rabbis who was important in instructing the people. In fact, in Jesus, oftentimes in dealing with the law, in the, in the, Old Testament, I mean the, the Jewish law would talk about the things the, the scribes said. A lot of that came from Hillel, and Hillel was a pretty honorable man, and, and, and his grandson was an honorable man. He had an unbelievable reputation. I have no idea if he ever became a follower of Jesus. Undoubtedly, he was not involved in putting Jesus to death, and you can know that by this. He was a teacher of the law. He was given the name of Rabban, which is the highest uh, form they can give him. He was respected by all the people. He stood up in the council and gave orders. Notice the Pharisee is giving orders. This is how important he was to put the men out time for a short time. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. Be careful. 
For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined him. Uh, but he was killed, and, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And then after this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people. And after him, too, he perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So these are, he's given two examples. He could have given many of people who claimed to be somebody, but they all died and, and things happened. Now, there's uh, Josephus. And his account of the Jewish life talks about some guys with these names. You can find similarities. It doesn't mean they're the same guys. Those are fairly common names. People rose up all the time. They just need to understand. You can do a lot of research to who these guys are, find different stories, and that's all fine. The most important thing is what, what Gamaliel is trying to say. You see, a lot of guys have claimed to be something, just like this Jesus, just like his followers. So in this present case... I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. And that's exactly what they were doing. Now, I think one of the cautions a lot of commentators I've read say this is not, you know, a, a, you know this, don't take from Gamaliel some practicum of life for all those to follow and, I, follow, and I get that. But he says something that I think is very wise. And it's this. I'm paraphrasing. Whatever happens in life, find out what side God is on and be on God's side. There are a lot of controversies in life. There's a lot of things we battle and fight over. And within Christianity, we fight over so many silly things. But there are some things we fight on that are really important. And if we can, at all possible costs, find out where God is and be there. There are, there are a lot of dumb controversies in, in our, my Southern Baptist world. I get asked about them from time to time, and I get it. You're interested in those things, and I know. And a lot of times people ask me, and I'll just say something like, I don't care. Because at the end of the day, I don't care. Let me tell you something. I don't care if some church decides they want women preachers. It doesn't affect me. You know why? Because I'm the preacher here. So why do I care? They're not coming to take my job. You know? People ask about ordaining women. I'm never going to ordain any women. Just telling you that. Never going to happen. If you were forward against it, I don't care. I'm 50-something years old. <laughs> Been doing this a long time. You're not going to change my mind on stuff. It's not important. Can I just tell this with you? Ordaining women doesn't matter in terms of the spreading of the gospel. Lost people don't care if women are ordained. Now, I know, according to some of my friends in Southern Baptist, but it's about obedience to God and the authority of Scripture. Yeah, no one's questioned the authority of Scripture. And no one's, you know, it's about obedience to God. I mean, listen, nobody, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I've never, I've never sit down with, Joe, you've recently sit down with some people who are trying to follow Christ. No, he has. And at no point did they ever discuss women being ordained because I can promise you no one cares. It's not like, no one says, hey, David, can women be ordained? And if I say yes, they say, well, I'm not coming to Jesus. Or invite someone. So I don't care. I don't want to see, I mean, I don't care. 
I'm not going to do it. But if the church down the street wants to do it, okay. I'm not going to go to you. I'm not going to, whatever. And there's so many things like that. I don't care if your worship service, if your church only does traditional music. Fine. I love traditional music. We have a service dedicated to that. I attend that service every week. I attend the traditional worship. Even when I'm not preaching, do you know I come to that service? I do. So I, I, I'm, I'm, that's fine. You know, I, it doesn't matter. Why are we fighting these battles? Because what matters is whether we're on the side of God. You know what our church does really well? I must tell you, whether it's the traditional or the modern service, we worship God really well. And we sing and we preach and we preach truth really well because it's important. And we focus on lost people really well because they matter. And we do everything we can to help your children learn about Jesus and your young people learn about Jesus and come to Christ because that's where the side of God is. That's what matters. So there's a summation. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they released them. And this is what these guys did. They went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing. They had been considered worthy to suffer shame in his name. They rejoiced. Jesus said, you will receive more tribulations and more suffering than I. And they rejoiced. I can't imagine rejoicing after being flogged. When I was little, my mom used to flog me all the time. Really, she just spanked me. Which was fine most of the time because when he got bigger, it's like, well, that doesn't hurt. The dumbest thing I ever did was say, they laughed at her. She, why are you laughing? Because it doesn't hurt. Then she quit doing that. That was stupid. But I never rejoiced. But get this in verse 42. But every day in the temple, still in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They kept on teaching and preaching Jesus. Next week, we're going to see a problem arose in ministry. And we're going to see that the apostles said, we can't spend time dealing with these problems. We have to get back to the ministry of the word and prayer. In other words, they've got to get back to the preaching and the teaching. The most important thing we do at the end of the day is to share Jesus individually and collectively. And collectively, the best way we share Jesus is in worship and preaching and teaching and in songs. That's, that's the best thing, way to do it. It's the most important thing to do. And so in your life, in the life of your church, in the life of your Sunday school class, or your connect groups, and when all the things you talk about, and it's all good, and we, we're like, yeah, do that. We rarely tell anybody no, mostly because we have no clues what you're doing. But understand this. Be sure you spend time teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Be sure you spend time talking about his death and resurrection. Be sure you spend time talking about his forgiveness of sin. Be sure you spend time with your kids and your grandkids making sure they get the gospel. 
quit worrying about some of the things they do. I know you're going to and you don't want them to do it. I get it. I mean, you've got to correct them. I understand all that. But at the end of the day, be sure they get Jesus. Because 20 years from now, it's going to be Jesus they're going to fall back on in what you taught them. And the beauty of the church, the beauty of the church is that everything that happened to them back then, the one thing that was constant was they preached Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. And they said, you can be forgiven of your sins. That's pretty cool stuff.